Sequel Quest, episode 95, a sequel chat movie review of Captain Marvel. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. All right, this weekend, Marvel Studios storms back back into theaters with the juggernaut, which is Captain Marvel. Well, guys, we've seen it. We have Colton and Adam with me here in studio. Well, how did you guys see this movie first? Let's let's kind of get the, the technical stuff out of the way. Was it IMAX? Was it 3D? I was at a small, single-screen, local theater, so <laughs> very low-tech. Um, I saw it on a very big screen, but wasn't quite IMAX. Hmm. I've seen it there twice this weekend so just like you're saying it was not quite IMAX but it's IMAXy enough depends on where you're sitting there I think it's really interesting that that we've gotten to a place where Captain Marvel is a is a marketable character or at least they believe you know it seems to be that if you go cosmic with Marvel they're going to grab their obscure characters and they're going to turn them into something that means a lot to the audiences you know I I feel like we it started obviously in a big way with Guardians of the Galaxy surprising everybody and then suddenly you know we get a uh, get get some stuff that we're maybe not expecting and then we we end up here at uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, I'm curious for you guys, because I know you guys have played, you know, video games, done some comic reading here and there. How familiar are you with Captain Marvel uh, in, uh, you know, since the 60s, essentially, what what the character really has been about? Uh, I'm going to be giving a cliche answer. I learned about her from playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance. <laughs> there it is. That's what I figured. <laughs> Um, but that, that was how I learned the most about her, like her backstory and everything. My first introduction to her was back when she was under the title of Miss Marvel. And, uh, I was watching that show X-Men, the animated series. Right. And Rogue got her flying abilities from accidentally sapping, uh, Miss Marvel and basically putting Carol Danvers into a coma. That was how I was first introduced her for the first time. She was basically, uh, gosh, what's the term I'm looking for? (laughs) I don't want to say battery pack, but she basically (laughs) gave Rogue her flying abilities um, unwillingly. That was kind of really her big claim to fame for pretty much everything. You know, as big as the Rogue character was, as big as the X Men were. That was pretty much the only place that Miss Marvel or Carol Danvers got mentioned in comic history for quite a while. Uh, but it's funny that we're saying she, you know, we learned about her because Captain Marvel uh, was originally introduced as a male character. Uh, and even more funny, Shazam! Oh, wait, wrong Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah that's coming and, in another month. Yeah. And yet, whole reason that Captain Marvel at Marvel Comics even exists is because DC was suing for years and years Fawcett Comics, who created that Captain Marvel, Shazam, you know, that version, because they always said he was too similar to Superman, really just outselling Superman. So they're (laughs) like, we got to take these guys down. And so when they beat them and they put Fawcett Comics out of business, they didn't scoop up the rights to the name Captain Marvel or anything. They're just like, we won. So timely Marvel Comics went in and grabbed the trademark and so they said, well, we should have a Captain Marvel. We're Marvel Comics. Right. And so 
they just pushed out this real quick cosmic storyline about this guy who's part of the Kree Empire. He's a soldier and, and, and decides to align with the Earthlings. And, and it was just kind of like, okay, this guy exists, but he's like super generic. I mean, he has like Saturn on his chest. That was his insignia. That's how generic space guy he was. Uh, and it wasn't until they had to renew their trademark that they come up with, oh, we're going to revamp this. You know, we're going to this guy. Now his name, you know, he's Captain Marvel, not Marvel. Right. But, uh, now he's uh, yeah. Oh, look, he's got these power bands, uh, you know, these quantum bands. And what do they do? Oh, nega bands. Yes, that's it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> a, an Earth kid gets one of the bracelets and, and he gets one of the bracelets and the Earth kid can change into Captain Marvel. How about that? <laughs> I mean, that was that had to be a slap in the face at that point, you know, in a DC if they cared, which they did because Captain Marvel was still not popular. He existed. He was not popular. Uh, you know, most Jim Starlin is really the uh, the creative force that made him something somewhat special, this cosmic champion. But really, Marvel only famous, at least in my eyes, growing up as a you know late eighties, er- early nineties comic fan, getting into the game for how he died because he was like this great hero of the universe, and he got space cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically he got cancer because he was fighting this guy, Nitro, who's also the guy who set off the Civil War storyline in the comics. So Nitro causes a lot of trouble, but basically that infected Captain Marvel and he got cancer and then he died in this big, large format graphic novel, you know, that was like this big deal in 82. So the year I was born, Marvel was dead. (laughs) So, and I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever seen that version of Captain Marvel? That... I, I've seen pieces. I have not delved deep yeah. into it. He's kind of like, what if Robert Redford was a superhero? That's what he looks like. <laughs> I do remember seeing old black and white stuff of the old uh, Captain Marvel riding on a horse and sometimes like being incredibly deadly in his attacks. Hmm. Now this I have not seen. So I'm not, it might that, be the DC version now that I think about it. The, I think the, you're talking the, about the serial. Yeah. The, 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 the old serial days. Yeah. When it comes to seeing old clips of Captain Marvel, I, I immediately think of that even though it may not be the same marvel comics proper yeah exactly well that's the thing that's why they that's why all throughout the 70s there was even a shazam tv show they couldn't call him captain marvel because marvel had the rights so they so dc eventually started publishing captain marvel comics under the title shazam and that's why this new movie is shazam you know like it's just they don't have the rights even though that was the original character with that name and what's crazy is then marvel like i said they just had to keep the copyright going yeah so they there was a, a black female in Marvel in the 80s after Marvel died. So she was in the Marvel superheroes Secret Wars, you know, Monica Rambeau. We'll get into her when we talk about the movie. And then, like, she eventually had to change her name, even though she was like a big time Avenger all throughout the 80s. And then you had all these Vels instead of Marvel. There's genetically altered son and daughter, Genius Vel, Phyla Vel. And then eventually there's this guy, Novar, who shows up and he's Marvel Boy, you know. And, and then after all those years 2012 that's when carol danvers you basically graduate she kind of resurfaced in the 80s as she had a whole different set of powers she was binary she was warbird then she takes on miss marvel again in the early 2000s 
And then she becomes Captain Marvel. She is the one, you know, she's, she's the big dog now. And then she gets her movie. So just think about it. All those years since the sixties, nothing, nothing, nothing. And now they make that change and Captain Marvel is a movie. So it just, it speaks to the power of the Carol Danvers character. I think and we'll get into that history lesson over. <laughs> he crest out. Well, so much. not quite done with history here because we need to talk about this Captain Marvel. Like yeah. we, we've talked about Marvel, uh, we'll describe how that differs, but Miss Marvel, how she got her powers in the comics. Yes. So what's interesting there is that Carol Danvers essentially is kind of like a liaison with the government for Captain Marvel when he shows up, and there's this explosion, and essentially his power kind of transfers through into her. And what you have to realize is at this time, again, Marvel. Marvel was super concerned with keeping their copyrights on their characters. So this is the same era where they created Spider-Woman and She-Hulk. You know, like, they're just like, let's make female versions of our characters so nobody else can, you know? It's, it's basically, you know, it's a, it's a copyright character, but Miss Marvel existed for that reason, and yet they, they wrote her pretty well where she was in the middle of the women's liberation movement, you know? So she kind of stood for that at that time. And then again, the character continued on. So yeah, it's really interesting that basically she got her powers from a male superhero, just like She-Hulk got a blood transfusion, you know? Oh, now I'm like the Hulk, you know? So very similar concept there. Uh, and I think in the recent comics, they did make a change to it. So back in 1978, uh, Carol Danvers, she is born daughter of Joe Danvers Sr., a former U.S. Navy officer and construction worker, as well as Mari L, a champion of the Cree, and yeah, so okay. she's half Cree, and I believe they mm, how to, how to put it, I believe they resurrected that for the prequel comic that just okay. came out. Um, I do remember hearing that she was of birth yeah so they so they've retconned her quite a bit there okay. yeah so they've played with her a little bit but the big explosion with the psyche magnetron is still how the creation happens okay how the transfer but it, but it just of unlocks power. who she really was essentially. yes yes okay that makes sense <laughs> So, but I'm, I'm curious to know what emotions and ideas this movie unlocked in all of us. Because first of all, I'd just like to say, I think we've officially passed through 80s nostalgia. And this is the <laughs> beginning of 90s nostalgia coming <laughs> to the forefront. I think this was the introduction for the mass uh, populace. Well, it definitely was. There was a Mallrats cameo. Oh, I was the <laughs> only person in my theater who laughed at that. I saw Stan Lee on the bus with his small rat script and i just cackled and everybody else is just like silent i'm like uh, no kevin smith fans here okay <laughs> dude i i am with you but at the same time you got to understand mall rats did not make a lot of money it truly yeah. has cult status even people who are familiar with jane silent bob may not have heard of mall rats it's one of the lesser of kevin smith's films yeah, from a title perspective, yeah, people don't so, immediately jump to so it. While yeah. I felt I felt incredibly special that I picked up the reference, I can't judge too harshly anyone else. <laughs> 
Well, and I got to say, like, what was I'm curious because my first impression was this Captain Marvel's coming out. I'm like, I don't have high expectations for this. Not that I thought it was going to be a bad movie. I just didn't have a lot of history with the character. I knew all about her and Marvel and obviously all of that. I read about them, read their comics, but it wasn't a big deal for me. And yet it was seeing blockbuster video in the trailer <laughs> where I was like, this is my movie. I this will be my there movie. weekend. Like they are going, it's set in the 90s. Thank you. That's all I needed. <laughs> so I knew that the production designer was going to be my hero on this movie. Probably not Brie Larson. So let's take it off the top and go a little bit non-spoilery here. What were your reactions overall to the film? Colton? Uh, I just... The third act is practically flawless. I thought it was exciting, exhilarating, but a lot of the buildup throughout the film, I just felt kind of dragged for me. And listen, I get the initial reaction to what I'm about to say is people are going to be like, well, this movie wasn't made for you, white man. <laughs> but um, I found some of the, not all, but some of the feminist themes a little bit on the preachy side. Like it's one thing to portray sexism. It's another thing to portray it in a cartoonish, over-the-top manner that's are, just, that borders on the absurd. Are, are you talking the biker? Uh, yes, he, I got to say <laughs> his line twice and then get cut off, yeah. <laughs> that, that and the flashback, and again, the, the, the weird creeper guy that showed up in the flashbacks, not everything he said rubbed me that way, but some of the stuff he did, I'm just like, that just doesn't sound like normal, everyday speech. It sounds like the type of straw man you need to make your point. <sighs> And that kind of took me out of the film just a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. It didn't rub off wrong on me. Um, I, I knew some of that was played up, punched up for jokes just because it was going to be uh, very small snippets. Mm -hmm. There wasn't going to be a lot of uh, context for, you know why they call it the cockpit, right? Yeah, yeah, you see that? I actually liked that because I'd never heard that before. That was at least, it was, <laughs> it was sexism that was at least kind of original, you know? Yes, and and that it's there, but it wasn't super over the top for me. It's nothing like all these YouTube reviews are saying it's not a field day, but it was good. It had decent themes. Some are a little over the top once we get into more spoilery stuff. But I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it because I went back twice. And this second time, there was like nobody in the theater. So I was enjoying it. <laughs> um, Adam? For me, like, I really, I walked out of this movie having really enjoyed it. I thought that it was written very well. The Just the plotting of it and everything. All the twists and turns I thought were done very well. Samuel L. Jackson was a delight. Just that whole, uh, you know, the, basically <laughs> the buddy cop drama between him and Carol was very fun. And I so I got a lot of enjoyment out of this and uh, we'll get into this deeper, I'm sure. But the character that did not work for me was Carol Danvers. Ooh. So uh, it, it, it that's a similar common. theme uh, to what Colton was speaking to. But I, I think I might have a, a few pieces to add to that discussion for really why she uh, she was not the hero I wanted her to be. OK, any other final non-spoilery well, You stuff? and Jan Rog have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> it's my blood that courses through her veins. You have to fight me on my terms. Oh, that was beautiful. That was a cool moment. <laughs> I like to, that. To, here's the thing. The film would not have worked as it did. They had actually had her beat him on his own terms like a conventional film oh, did. Yeah. Right. They had to get the message across by having her beat him against his terms on her own terms but that laugh of her blasting him i saw that coming from a mile away i i've just they, they did that in age of ultron you know from the benefit of hindsight 
you know, I just I, I that type of laugh has been done before, but at the same time, well, it goes back to Avengers with Hulk punching Thor. They Marvel loves the <laughs> bash him out of nowhere. Well, okay, but at the same time, this goes back even further. This is an Indiana Jones trope. Really? Yeah, the sword fight oh, that's in right. Arabia when he just pulls out the gun and shoots the guy. Granted, there's a backstory to that one where he was sicker than a dog, Harrison Ford was, and he was like, I'm not doing a sword fight, and just pulls out the gun and shoots him, and that's the take they used. So that's kind of where I was feeling with that one, with that moment, was it was very indie there. Just improvising. I'm I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I saw it coming from a mile away. When when Jude Law launches into that rant, I'm like, this rant is going to be terminated by her blasting him into oblivion. Yeah, you can feel it. From a mile away. Uh, but, but no less satisfying. If it hadn't happened, if she had tried to fight and beat him on his terms, even if she won, it would have undercut the message of the film. And I totally yes. did. Yeah. All right. Well, so we're going to put yeah, the spoiler yeah. warning up. If you've not seen this, go see it. Come back and turn us on. All right. Let's go through some of the differences in the how they introduced her origin. Like, let's start off here. Captain Marvel, or Marvel, played by Annette Benning, mm-hmm. who is Dr. Lawson in the film. Which, for those who don't know, that was Marvel's alter ego, the male Marvel, in the original comic. That's Carol Danvers met him, you know, as Dr. Lawson. So I, I thought that's what it was. Yeah. And and were either of you offended by the fact that they, they pulled that little bait and switch? Not at all. I mean, I, I think the character is the character, the gender really does not matter the, the character had decent motivations and there was you know a lot for Annette Benning to do with that you know also playing the you know the other side of that is the supreme intelligence just taking on the form and there was a good mystery behind it all with Carol's right. you know uh, amnesia and all those things so I, I was totally fine with whatever form that took although I did read that that was like a last minute change as they were finalizing the script oh. like the writers just came up with it They're, like had a little dream and he's like oh it, it could be a woman and these characters could be combined and yeah yeah <laughs> simplify the scripting it. i yeah. i i was not offended by it i actually enjoyed that um just because the the core characteristics of his being as marvel are still there didn't matter male or female the scientist portion of it the fact that he they're being heroic in trying to do what is right and that she still played a part in the creation of carol as captain marvel right and it just fits the theme of the movie better. I mean, it's a female empowerment film. So yes, have this other character who's a great scientist, who again, who is a Cree kind of revolutionary or defector, however you want to look at it, you know, is to me like it just works so much better than if it had been a male character just to say we're being, you know, faithful to the comics, which again, a character that most people don't even know. So who cares? You know, uh, Colton, did you have thoughts on it? <sighs> I'm sorry, but the first two acts of the film really didn't get my blood pumping like other Marvel films usually do. I just, <sighs> is this something that you're getting when we get to most of these origin stories where it's kind of too writ uh, or wrote of a script where it's like, we have to get through this and that and that so that we can introduce them and they can become the hero that we want for the third act. <sighs> Maybe, but it's not just that. I just I just get this feeling of these beats. Even if I can't give words to them, I'm just like, oh, I feel like I've been through this beat before. Oh, here's a mentor figure who later turns out to be a complete D-bag who's going to stab the hero in the back. Uh, like, just like in the original Iron Man, you know? I just, right. 
I, I just every once in a while it just tires on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking not, of I'm not Iron Man, I had no fun at all. Yeah. Um, but I'm just I'm just saying that there just, I just found myself just kind of dragging through the film. You've already seen it twice. I just like, like Ant Man and the Wasp. And by the way, I did revisit that on Netflix, and I still feel the same. I just don't feel like going back. <laughs> I enjoyed the third act. I have no complaints about it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, except I feel like Nick Fury, his official story was, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. And it was scratched out by a freaking cat. And <laughs> Oh, come on. It's a flurkin. That I know, but <laughs> it's a little bit anticlimactic, and I'm not sure it fits in with the dramatic nature of I trusted somebody and I lost an eye. Well, I think there's Play no with an alien cat. It's going to match Captain America, you know, the Winter Soldier ever right. again. Like, we're not going to get to that point anymore. We're never going to have anything that serious. Uh, and I, I think that's just the direction Marvel has decided to go. So, unfortunately, yeah. That, You're talking that's about comedy? Retcon. Dude, they full bore embraced comedy a long time ago. That's why. Yeah, that's what I mean. Right. That's, that's no a big part of that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess Infinity War was the closest to, you know, straight dramatics. But even that. Had plenty give Infinity War credit. It's still, I just saw it again with some friends and we were just laughing all the way and then all of a sudden going <gasps> at the end and that's the testament of a great film when and, you can laugh all the way through and still have your heart ripped out yeah and i feel endgame is going to have very similar mm-hmm. emotions tied to it with with the uh basically this movie was kind of like a version of solo for nick fury like it hit all these little beats that we had mm-hmm. wanted to learn about his backstory without having to do a full-fledged movie yes i mean it was it, it's such a fun way way i mean that's the thing like i said if i could praise anything the 90s you know that they portrayed on earth was very accurate they did such a great job with all of that and especially just the the samuel l jackson attitude just fits so perfectly you know the disbelief and that he's sort of on board but at the same time he's questioning everything about her and just making fun of her like that maybe, was that was very shane black to me that was yeah, maybe yeah. you could clarify something for me but i didn't totally understand the first time you saw him use the pager uh-huh. Was trying to betray Carol. He was. He was reporting yeah. back that he was with the. Uh, That's why he called in yeah. Olson and that other I, agent. It's just yeah. I feel like at that point, shouldn't they have had just enough camaraderie to? I, I just I was a little confused by that. It looked like he was trying to betray her, and I didn't really understand why. Well, I she think kind he, of established he felt he needed backup just to be safe. It wasn't necessarily oh, right. Didn't one hundred percent trust her, but he's like, I can't do this on my own. If something, if she switches on me, you know, like right, so. he'd he'd seen enough that he needed additional backup <laughs> and at that point he trusted his boss who... you could have done that this whole time and you let me be playing with tape <laughs> <laughs> that was funny but like that like, i mean there were so many fun little touches like obviously the crash into the blockbuster video was fantastic yeah. i was paying attention to the videos you know on the shelf behind not her not just the crash the fact that she took the time to peruse that is right pick up the right really... stuff that's a nice nostalgic touch right there. She but looked right at those shelves with the same... Blowing the head off of Arnold yes, on true the True Lies stand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there was another Arnold film in there, Last Action Hero, <laughs> that is significant because Last Action Hero has a blockbuster video scene in it. And I don't know if anybody got that or if that was on purpose, but if so, again, production designer, I love you. <laughs> you did a beautiful job with the set design and on this. Did anybody catch the movie that Carol picked up? The right stuff. Yeah. You know, astronauts, famous pilots turned astronauts. Yeah. But also, like, when that everybody was laughing 
in my theater with Blockbuster Video. And nine, ten-year-old kid behind me is like, what is it? What <laughs> is that? And I just, I was, I literally was just containing my laughter because it was so, it's so funny to me. And then, but then it hit me. I'm like, oh, I'm incredibly old. Like intellectually, I do. There was a generation growing up without understanding the idea of a video store, but it was 100% confirmed for me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear. Yeah, and even like that she had to use a Game Boy to build her communication device in the <laughs> in the phone booth. I mean, there were so many little touches yes. uh, that they threw in there, which was fantastic. I'm uh, surprised I've not been to this uh, last Blockbuster. Uh, there is one Blockbuster store still kicking, and it is located in Bend, Oregon. Wow. Jeremy, next time you're home, right? I know. It's <laughs> only like a six-hour drive. <laughs> Oh. So this is my question then. How did you, how did you guys feel about the introduction of the scrolls then? Because this is the thing, right? Everything had been tied up. We they, we had to use the Chitari back in Avengers because Fox had the rights to scrolls because of Fantastic Four. Really? Is always my understanding. Uh, for the generic alien scrolls, those were shared, but oh, super scrolls were still owned by Fox. I see. Cause they contain the powers of and the Fantastic Four. Okay. are still for another, what, few weeks, maybe. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. I was like, was it in the works? And so when they started making this movie, they're like, look, we're going to own scrolls eventually here. Let's, uh, let's just do it. Are they going to sue us in the middle of our negotiations? I don't think so. Anyway. But uh, yeah, the, the scrolls, I thought the, the, the idea of the transformation that they have to go through was really well done. It wasn't just like, it didn't look like morphing from the, uh, you know, Michael Jackson black or white video. You know? <laughs> like it, it just, it looked like painful and like a metamorphosis and everything. That was pretty awesome. Um, How did you feel about the main scroll whose name I do not know? Ben Mendelsohn. Talos. It's Talos. Talos. Okay. And How did you feel about him? It, his name is from the comics, hmm. but he doesn't share the same uh, abilities because the original Talos was born without the ability to shapeshift. Oh. And this one picture, it looks like he's holding an infinity gauntlet of sorts. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Uh, well, I I enjoyed the introduction. The transformation scenes were gruesome, yet interesting. It's not mystique X-Men shapeshifting. Yeah, it's like our skin is splitting open and then changing. I was and, like, oh. <laughs> and if you noticed, those who shapeshifted more became more and more disfigured. Oh. I didn't Which is why when they end up rescuing all the family and kids, you see there are varying degrees of scarring mm -hmm. and the children are basically without scarring. And yet there Talos you. is one of the ones who has shifted yeah. more well, and that's more a question and more. I have. Why were there a few in that opening scene where they have her upside down? And there are some that look like cartoon character aliens. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? what is this? These bug eyes, they're 100% CGI. I'm like, what is this? That was that was odd. That that was a weird costumes, you know, and with with actual prosthetics next to these creations of the computer. I'm not sure what was up with that. I'd, I'd like to express my appreciation for how the creators flipped the script. I, I give Marvel Studios credit for that, where they will take stuff from the source material, yes, and kind of spin it a little bit so that you're not getting such a carbon copy of the source mm -hmm. material. Like um, whether you're familiar or not familiar with the scrolls, they genu generally came off as bad guys. And when I first heard this movie was being made and 
Scrolls were going to be in it, I was expecting some kind of secret invasion storyline. Mm-hmm. And it was a nice flipping of the script to have the Kree kind of be on the antagonistic side this time yeah. and to have the Scrolls be the ones that you are sympathetic towards and not to be too preachy. And, and, here, and here's an example of how to get a nice political theme in your movie without being preachy. Some people didn't even notice this. I thought it was a good empathy for refugees story. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely what they were going for, I'm sure. And I did not see that that slip coming, honestly. Like, I, I sort of saw that Jude Law would probably be a bad guy, but I also thought the scrolls would be equal. Like, I thought they were both going to be at fault, you know? And I was like, they're both bad, and so on and so forth, which Talos sort of says. He's like, this is war, you know? We've, we've all done some terrible things. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, you're like, oh, but he's got a family, and so he's a good guy, you know? <laughs> all that uh, all that Jude Law cares about is is destroying the Kree because they don't do what he says. Okay, got it. Supreme Intelligence tells him. Okay, so the other political theme is basically the the Kree are kind of an expanding empire. And if you don't submit to them and their rule, they literally will wipe you out. That's basically what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting to get a little bit of background on a couple characters we've seen in Guardians 1 in yeah. Korath as one of the Starfleet or Star Force uh, attack Jaimon Hounsou, I feel he's a great actor and I feel he was just wasted in this role. Uh, again? <laughs> S- same as in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but, but he did survive, here? did he not? Yes, because he's in the future. So he does survive. <laughs> Um, no, the, what I mean is his talents were wasted. Uh, agreed. And unless we get a Korath um, spinoff movie <laughs> or he joins the Guardians, we're probably not going to get much out of him. But I mean, it's the same with Idris Elba. Like in the Thor movies, right. he's pretty wasted also. But it's like they're getting a paycheck out of this. Like everybody wants to be in a Marvel movie now. They don't care. Like, this time, is not though, art. This well, is paycheck. Uh, Idris Elba's Heimdall got built up a little bit more. But Korath has been on screen twice, played by a great actor. And I just, I don't know. I just, I feel sad that it's so thankless. I mean, was the, was there room for it in this movie? Honestly, considering how much I feel the first two acts dragged for me, I, I want to say yes <laughs> to that. Because well, hold on. I the feel like- the oh, other cool. actor that we got another glimpse of is Ronan, mm-hmm. one of the accusers, which we find out are the elite bombing squad for the Kree who go in and either lay cover fire or basically wipe out a planet in order to prevent the scrolls from surviving. And we do get a tease at the end that he will return in seeking Carol. So but we also learned that Lee Pace does not look intimidating at all unless he has black eye uh, makeup. The war paint. <laughs> yeah, I, I was watching the whole time. I'm like, this guy's a wuss. Like, I don't even care. You see him it, on his little holographic feel projection. Like he, it was only halfway across his fanaticism at this point. Exactly. Yeah. He's, true. He's still committing war crimes and stuff, but you know, he hasn't completely gone hundred percent crazy. Right. And, and, I have and, heard, this... and I have heard whispers that Feige will probably do the wonder woman 1984 route and have yes. the Captain Marvel sequel be another one that's nostalgic and takes place before what we know is the standard MCU or any time between now and end game. Like it could be any time between 1995 and now, um, uh, do uh, a, if, a fill if, in if she's to run into Ronan again and they've established, 
established Ronan's demise was in 2014. So it'd have to be between 95. And And they did give a nice origin enough that you can kind of feel where Ronan was headed, um, which kind of leads to the fact that the Kree Empire does get stopped at some point and he is just running out exacting his own vengeance as the accuser throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's telling that uh, up to this point, we've been talking for however long, we really have not had any praise or really dug into the character of Carol Danvers in any way. We have not spoken of her as, a, as an essential character in her own story. Um, so as mentioned, these first two acts are really meant to establish her and say, this is your, this is your hero. This is who you're supposed to care about. And uh, unlike previous films where we've seen characters with a similar swagger, a similar sense of humor, uh, a little bit of cockiness, all of that. Oh, you mean uh, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man? Yes. <laughs> okay. Chris Pratt, you know, <laughs> in, in Guardians of the Galaxy. All right. Like, this is the thing. As I watched Brie Larson's performance, I got more and more disinterested in her and did not like her attitude. Like, her friend eventually says, yes, you're a major pain in the butt. Like, th- 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 that seems to be the case because I saw no redeeming qualities in her other than a little girl likes you. A little girl is vouching for you, so we're supposed to like you. Because she is basically invincible. Even before her inhibitor chip comes off, like, she basically never gets hurt. She gets knocked out, but she's never, like, hurt or really in any peril. She's just, like, this invincible, all-powerful hero. And at least with somebody like Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Pratt in their roles, we saw that their you know overconfidence was compensating for a lot of other issues and we saw them at low points and we understood where they were coming from we don't know anything about carol and we don't like there's flashbacks but we know as much about her as she ends up knowing about herself (laughs) we saw stuff oh you like to do karaoke you must be a fun person i like that she was singing a lita ford song (laughs) but but i'm just saying like other than that i'm like you as a person i know nothing about you and i do not like you because you're just so overconfident and you you act like you got it all in the bag and by the end when she has her full power set she does she just destroys everything like there is nothing that can stop her so i'm just like who is this it's like the superman effect you're like you don't care she doesn't even have kryptonite though so it's like captain marvel is like seemingly the most powerful hero in the marvel universe now i'm like well Great. Well, that Thank is what you. Feige has said, is yeah. she is the most powerful character in the MCU. Uh, basically, what you described, uh, Adam, the internet calls a Mary Sue. Ah, <laughs> I've heard this term, yes. It's derived from Gary Stew. It used to apply to guys, and now it's being applied to girls. Ah, yeah, a female character depicted as unrealistically lacking in flaws or weaknesses. Sensation. I mean, because we have been told that this is, and Brie Larson has been very vocal, I know, about this is about female empowerment, and we need representation, all those things, which is excellent. But why can't this be a, a well-rounded character, you know, a character who actually, again, is overcoming something? She's overcoming amnesia, which really has nothing, you know, <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with her character. That's just something that occurred to her. So we should have sim- sympathy. I don't know. Uh, I, so, I mean, that was my feeling throughout the whole film is everybody else around you is wonderful. You not so sure. So how do you feel about that, Colton, ultimately about Carol in the end? 
yeah, I the I totally see the Mary Sue trope. It just doesn't really bother me because mm. I've seen plenty of the Gary Stu trope, and that didn't bother me either. So I just let it roll off my back. But I I see it. I, it's there. I'm not really denying it. It just doesn't bother me because that's yes. just this that, one that, that is our wish fulfillment we want to be <laughs> in the passenger seat but i don't i know i'm not a perfect person and i and i have a lot of issues and my wife will tell you and <laughs> <laughs> i want to see other characters who are also super cool but they also can admit uh i have some issues i gotta work through you know uh, it seems like carol does not admit to any flaws um i didn't mind that about her to be honest a, a lot of people even people who are just like for political reasons are determined that this film be perfect even they were like carol her only quality seems to be that she just likes to talk smack to everybody yeah and i'm like well i kind of like that <laughs> well i like when she growled back at the scroll right while they were fighting. that was funny <laughs> that had to have been an outtake that they just ran with exactly in the editing bay um so basically she gets her powers they're sort of derived from the tesseract yeah um which confused me <laughs> right the tesseract is back oh wait it's the 90s okay uh let me grab this rundown here real quick because i mean like when i saw that i was literally trying to piece it together in my head i'm like okay so we saw it in the 40s with captain america we saw it you know uh, in the in the present day with gauntlet or with the infinity gauntlet for thanos we saw it with avengers but i was just like i didn't know where all those timelines really fit so jeremy do you have a tesseract timeline for us because i need some guidance on this yeah, so this is kind of just a basic overview here uh the red skull seeks out and finds it in world war ii um, it goes down to the depths of the ocean into the ice with Cap. Howard Stark finds the Tesseract shortly afterward. Uh, the Tesseract stays within S.H.I.E.L.D. until Dr. Lawson, Marvell, ends up using it in Project Pegasus. And that's where we're introduced to it here because she's using it as a fuel source for the new light speed engine jets um, as the power core or siphoned off power from it in order to use that in the jets. At which point Fury and Carol find it, the Flurkin eats it, and holds on to it until, based on the final post credit scene, basically the mid-2000s, so right before Iron Man starts, is where the Flurkin spits it back up onto Fury's desk. Yeah, I, I want to. I heard about that, but I didn't actually see it. Where's the indicator that it's the mid-2000s? I'm just basing it off the computers. Like, those model of computers were the very generic 2000s, like, we had them all in school type thing. Oh, okay. Mm. I, I gotta say, for me, it felt like a great disrespect to the Tesseract, which has <laughs> no way. been... It was like, it's been built up over all the MCU films is this all this all-powerful thing that everybody wanted so often it's the MacGuffin of MacGuffins and then it's just like oh we're just using it to power some rockets and uh, a cat's gonna eat it and you know what I'm saying like just like in the end we're just like you know what we're done with this I think is what they're saying they're like so much for the Tesseract Thanos has it figure it out in game. you know well and, and basing it off of Infinity War we did hear multiple times Vision was like hey from my studies of this thing, the only thing that can destroy it is another Infinity Stone or someone whose powers derive from the Infinity Stone, mm, which means okay, Carol is now powered by one. Yeah. And she absorbs power from whatever she's hit with and can use that outwardly. So yeah. they make that connection. Okay, good. I, I didn't see the whole like time travel thing that uh, Samuel L. Jackson was kind of dropping hints in. Right. Yeah. Uh, in interviews leading up 
up to it. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's let's jump to the other mid-credit scene because that one has long-lasting uh, effects here. And it opens up with Cap shortly after Endgame watching a body count just continuously rack up country by country and globally. Over 3 billion people are missing and he's just at a loss for word. We see Cap, we see Black Widow, we see Rhodey and Bruce Banner. And they are all worrying about the pager device that Fury set off at the end of Infinity War. And it stopped beeping. And who appears... Black Widow whirls around, sees uh, Captain Marvel with much longer hair, going, where's Fury? And then it cuts to black and it says, Captain Marvel will return in Avengers Endgame. And my theater just lost it. it was, what a great way to end that, you know? And yeah. that's the first time they've moved that uh, little chunk up to the mid credit scene, saying that they will return. Yeah, typically they save that for the very end. I mean, and, very end. Like, even after the Marvel logo at the end. Right, like Ant-Man and the Wasp had it at the very end, and then a question mark at the end. <laughs> yeah, that was... That uh, was and I just gotta say, I was just happy to see some characters with depth on the screen again like because <laughs> wow. again like you saw all four of those characters and you're like okay they have path pathos you know they have stuff going on there's some gravitas here yeah and then captain marvel shows up i'm like oh her again okay great well i'm sure she'll have a great time being everybody's savior in endgame i and, get it okay. and she was looking like the girl from the ring there when she first <laughs> appeared I did want to say that's impractical, especially when she's uh, in like Cree warrior mode when she's with her unit when they go to that planet. Like, right. why is her hair always in front of her face? You need to tie that back. <laughs> your visibility is compromised. Why not wear your See, helmet the whole time? The first thing Jude Law did for her, you know, here's a hair bar- a hair barrette. You know, put your hair back. You know, <laughs> um, but I I gotta mention one more thing just as we co- look, get ready to close out here, which is the biggest like applause and reaction from my audience was the Marvel Studios logo dedication to Stan Lee. The intro. Yeah. Like my audience was like, woo! Like clapping. And like they were just, they love Stan. They were wishing him, you know, well, as he went off into the great beyond. I mean, that was, that was a big deal for everybody when that happened. I kind of hope they keep it around. Be nice for this year, at least. Yeah. Yeah. For the films that we have on the docket this year, which I believe they've said Far From Home will have a cameo and that'll likely be his last. Where did you hear that? Because I've heard no confirmation of that. Like, like they did. They say it. It just broke over the weekend. Colton, is there anything that we haven't covered today that you feel we need to get down to the nuts and bolts on here? Uh, I, no, I just wanted to add that I do agree with that. The uh, Dan versus Fury had a nice uh, buddy cop dynamic. But uh, other than that. I'm going to have to say five out of 10. <laughs> wow. Adam. Well, for me, like I said, I, although I did not care for the lead character, I had a lot of fun with this movie and I enjoyed it. And I thought again, that it was very well laid out in such a way that it, it really did, you know, provide some surprises and other things. So I, in my mind, I put it up there with Black Panther, which again, I felt like T'Challa had a little bit more going on for him, but he still was kind of overshadowed by his supporting cast in the film and his villain. So like I I put this right there with, you know, Black Panther. I, I'd give it a probably a seven uh, for me just because, again, I, I wasn't blown away. I wouldn't say, yeah, Captain Marvel for sure. But I enjoyed the movie as a whole. I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. I will agree with you there, Adam. I am sitting around a seven. 
Um, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower. I'm, I'm still kind of a little wishy-washy on it. But again, this movie was not made for me. Uh, the only thing made for me in it was the 90s nostalgia, uh, the soundtrack, the uh, the little tie-ins here and there with Fury's background, with the Tesseract, with all the MCU tie-ins. Like, that is definitely made for me. The scroll subverting of our expectations there and leaving it open for a potential uh, secret invasion down the road? Sure. Done. Love it. Doesn't mean that we have to... It does put to bed some of the rumors like, okay, which of our Avengers are an actual scroll that we've been watching this whole time? Uh, but it does leave it open and maybe it's Talos's daughter who ends up leading an invasion on Earth. There were specific things said where he tells his wife to cover her eyes and then she sees his her father shoot some guys. So th- there's enough breadcrumbs that it could come back around to haunt the Avengers or Earth or whatever down the road. But it was a good, good movie for me. Okay. And while we're on these uh, fan theories for what may come uh, in the future of Captain Marvel, I have to say, you know, the one thing that confused me initially was when they introduced the Maria character. And they're saying Maria Rambeau. And I was like, why did they change the name of Monica Rambeau, who was Captain Marvel? Marvel to be Maria and then the little girl came in and I was like ah okay so they introduced her mom but why didn't they just have Monica not have a little girl all this stuff so my theory is that in the next Captain Marvel movie will be maybe like 10 years in the future from that point or something and so probably uh, at that point it seems like Monica may take on her photon powers that's one of her later <laughs> aliases that she had and I so that's my theory that I'm predicting. So talk to me in a couple of years and we'll see if I'm right about that. Yeah, they they left enough breadcrumbs that it will provide enough fodder for a good, hopefully it's a war type movie, the next one. Mm-hmm, perhaps, or the secret invasion that Colton and you yeah. spoken about. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. I, I'd love to see her wage war on the Supreme Intelligence and the Kree on their home world. Be a very short movie. She can just blow <laughs> up their planet, I'm sure. <laughs> Right? Well... One energy blast. Done. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray for Captain Marvel! All right, folks. Well, if you've not gone out to see it, I don't know what you've been doing. Uh, It made over a half a billion this weekend worldwide. It is well on its way to being a billion-dollar movie for Disney Marvel. And we will sign off for now. Higher, further, faster. We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at SequelQuestPod.com now.